This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, JP and I are absolutely delighted to have Scott Becker from the famous Becker Spine or Becker's ASC or Becker's Hospital on with us today. Scott, welcome to the show. Uh, Dr. Wang, Dr. Kokoon, thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to get to visit with you. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Well, you know, Scott, you don't really need an introduction. I think if, if you don't know who Scott Becker is, you are living under a rock. Scott, I've been following you for a number of years now. I love reading your emails, the key takeaways. Every article is super short, right to the point. Um, and you have all the gossip. You're like the inquirer of our field, so it's so much fun to read. Uh, what's going on, and I get a lot of information from you. Uh, I also was able to attend one of your meetings right before the pandemic, and you put on a fantastic set of meetings in Chicago, right? It's, it's local? Yes, we've always done them in Chicago. There's a historic reason for it. There's a lot of economies of scales and efficiencies, and it's easy enough ways for people to get to. So yes, for better or for worse, we hold five conferences a year. Uh, one that's more focused on orthopedics and spine and surgery centers than the other four, but yes, all in Chicago, but thank you. Yes, exactly. I would strongly, and uh, I would strongly suggest that our listenership should try to attend one of your meetings. It is really a phenomenal interchange with folks that are not only physicians, but administrators, nurses, um, you know, managers, people who we really should get to know. So, but Scott, I want to start out by asking you this key question. It's always been on my mind of how you even got into this. I know you've been doing this a long time, but how did you even get interested? And I know spine is your major passion, right? Although you cover a lot of topics. How did you get started in this? Sure. No, it's a, it's a great question. And so I started this literally 30 years ago now, and it's easy to date back. So we're in our 30th year of one of our surgery center conferences. I started it for completely different reasons than it ended up being. When I first started it, I was a young lawyer and for a variety of reasons trying to build a thought leadership sort of a brand as 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 somebody who knew their area so i started a small newsletter really the first area was in surgery centers becker's asc review and and really what happened is over a period of years it grew out of being something that was really for thought leadership for legal practice into something that became truly a media company so about five ten years after starting it started to hire people full-time that were in different areas, both the commercial side of the business, but also full-time writers, full-time conference planners, and, and sort of started to build a business. And, and at that point, and this goes back about 20, 25 years ago, we expanded from surgery centers into two other areas. Uh, at that time, into hospitals and orthopedic and spine. Uh, spine, you're right. Spine has been a complete passion of mine. It's just I enjoy the physicians, I enjoy the people, I enjoy the whole field. It's niche enough that you really can get to know a lot of people really well and, and, and grow close with people. The flip side is the hospital side of the business has been by far is the largest part of the business today. And so it's we've got hospitals and health systems, health IT, surgery centers, orthopedics and spine. And then a number of smaller niche areas today. But that, but the real growth, the real starting point was a long time ago, I think like a thousand years ago, but really 30 years ago, really trying to build a thought leadership position. And then we transformed it into a real media company. And this goes back about 20 years ago where it really became that versus a thought leadership effort. And now it's, now I've got, 
you know, more than 100 employees. We cover, we've got 30 full-time writers. We cover several different areas in healthcare, and it's been a great labor of love. It's led me to meet fascinating people from, like, as you said, from physicians to nurses to have interviewed President Clinton, President Bush, Hillary Clinton, Nikki Haley, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all kinds of interesting people we've had a chance to visit with through this, ultimately through this medium. It's been, it's been great, great fun and, and just a pleasure. And so we follow healthcare. We follow healthcare every day, all the time. And then we follow general business as well. We find it fascinating. I, I follow general business as well. Becker's Healthcare does not, but we find it fascinating. Yeah, so I got to say labor of love is exactly the phrase that would spring to mind for me looking at your publication group and all of your work from the outside. So I had the privilege of meeting you about a week ago in Las Vegas at the Society for Mental Invasive Spine Surgery ESMIS meeting there where you were the keynote speaker. And what a phenomenal speech you gave. I, I think I don't quite remember your official title for this. I think it was 10 key concepts in healthcare, but by the time you finished talking, you were at least up to 17. And I would I would swear you didn't have any notes in front of you. So the, the sheer volume of not even information, but sectors within healthcare and business that I feel like you must be walking around thinking about and carrying in your mind constantly was staggering. So I, I wonder, you know, you're an employed attorney. Where, where do you find the time or how, when you were starting out, did you find the time to organize your mental approach to this vast landscape that you survey and then even begin to try to bring this to the people in a readable, published format? Sure. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. There's multiple different pieces to it. One is a long time ago, 30 years ago, I ended up focusing really all of my professional efforts around healthcare generally and healthcare business generally, and then different areas within it specifically. And, and that allows that allows a lot of simplification of life because you end up, you know, particularly back in the day, now I'm probably a broader reader today than I was then, but back in the day, it was sort of healthcare and maybe business management. And so when you went through the Wall Street Journal, you don't have to read everything. You just got to read the stuff that, that ties to those things. And so it was easier to develop a synthesis around areas because you're really focused around areas. And it was really about just constantly organizing and synthesizing and thinking about what your thoughts are in an area. And then once you've done that and built that up, you know, things fit into that context. And so it's easier and easier over time because you come back to lots of things that you see and you see them constantly. And they're different a little bit in different specialties, different areas. We talked about, for example, at the meeting that healthcare has a math problem. We talk about this regularly and we see it. And the beauty of healthcare is every single one of us, the two of you, in addition to being great neurosurgeons and spine surgeons, are also consumers of healthcare. You might have a little bit better position because you have better access than the average person, but like everybody else, you're a consumer of healthcare in a million different ways. And so we talk about often healthcare has three big problems and there's plenty of others, but healthcare has a math problem, 330 million people and only a million, 100,000 physicians, more and more than part-time, 4 million nurses, and, and the, just the, the sheer ratio, the sheer math just doesn't work as our nation grows and our physician population does not. We also talk about healthcare having a power problem with its payers versus providers. We talk about healthcare having a thinking problem, everybody trying to think about binary solutions and, and really most things are somewhere in between. But so 
No, it's a great question. We're, we're able to synthesize because we live in certain areas within what we follow, and we follow those things closely. And then we've also been fortunate that we've built up great teams. And, and you know, the great reality of any business, anything you do, same thing practicing spine surgery, practicing neurosurgery, you can have a great neurosurgeon, but he or she can't do it without a great team. And so the ability to do, you know, more than one thing, the ability to focus on, you know, and, and there's different parts of these careers where you're more vested in one part of it than another part of it. And those are transitions over time, too, that have allowed me to be sort of a partner to major law firm or in the healthcare department for a very long time, plus build a media company. But a lot of that's about being focused in really everything overlaid in healthcare. And then second was building great teams in both of those. And that gives you the ability to really leverage things in a different way by having, you know, it's all about great teams and great people. Yeah. So I'll ask you because I actually did have a question for you at the meeting. And like every meeting, we were running over time. So the session got cut short. But I'll ask you the question I wanted to after your keynote address, which addresses the increasing demand for physicians, which you just mentioned. And then maybe as we continue to explore these key issues facing our nation and the world at, at large in the healthcare sector, we can start drilling in more closely to things relevant to neurosurgery and to spine surgeons. But thinking about our healthcare system overall, as you rightly pointed out, and as everyone knows in healthcare, uh, there's a physician shortage. And what that translates to in the supply demand economy is an increasing demand for physicians. As we know from every field of human activity, if you increase the demand for a certain set of professionals and you increase the number of those professionals that you produce each year, the quality is going to go down. That's simple math. You're increasing the denominator. The average quality is going to go down because if you have 10 of a certain sort of specialist and you then create 90 more, then you can't be as selective for those new 90 people. So in your mind, as we necessarily increase the number of physicians across all specialties in our country, how can we protect the quality of those physicians that we produce and the care they deliver? Sure. No, that's that's a great question. I mean, it's a complicated question because right now there's something like 50,000 people apply to med school a year, 18 to 20,000 get in ultimately to med school a year. Uh, by the time they're done, that means we're producing at the very best 15 to 17,000 doctors a year out of a population of, you know, 330 million people. And then of those doctors being produced, you know, there's 50,000 apply each year. And, and I don't haven't looked at the stats in those 50,000, but let's say 10,000 have no business going to med school because they didn't study well enough. They're not disciplined enough. They're not diligent enough. You wouldn't want them performing surgery on you or, invet or, or diagnosing you and so forth and so on. But let's say out of the 20,000 that get in, and there's another 20,000 that don't get in, you know, there's some, some lack of clarity there as to who out of those 40,000 that end up filling those 20,000 spots should get in, should not get in based on intelligence, drive, ability to deal with people, all kinds of things. What, what I think of is that you've got right now, there's not really a concern about producing too many doctors in our country because we're so short of residency spots, we're so short, so short of everything that I, I don't think that that's as much of a concern. If I look at the concern level on this, there would be two or three things. One is that, you know, there's been, this is a complicated issue 
of how far away you move from the best and brightest getting into med school, getting to residencies, getting into other issues to try and more closely match society's makeup of, of, of people, of gender, of, of race, of ethnic group, of everything else. And that's a very complicated issue. I mean, you know, we, we saw, oh my goodness, there's so many complications to this. So I'd say, are we, are we ultimately selecting the right 20,000 people that get to go to med school? Do we have enough residencies? And then the bigger problem, I don't think there's a concern about oversupply or denigrating the supply because we're producing too many doctors, which we're just not. The bigger concern is, are we selecting the right people? Is our med school education, is it itself, is it efficient? I mean, at the end of the day, the way of teaching med school, the way of teaching residencies was largely developed prior to the internet. You know, you know, particularly in your specialty, it's 10 to 12 years between residency. I know Dr. Wang helps run the fellowship program. Between residency, fellowship, and med school, you're looking at 10 to 12 years before somebody's able to really practice fully and independently. And in other countries that produce great doctors, they're doing that a lot quicker and a lot faster. Not, maybe not monumentally faster in neurosurgery and spine, but in a lot of specialties, they're doing it a lot quicker. So I think the bigger question is, is our med school curriculum and how we produce doctors, we produce fantastic doctors, but do we produce them with tremendous debt and inefficiently and also so much closer towards the end of their careers already and not, you know, if you get out at 32, 33, 34, sure, you still got another 30 plus years left, but more and more of those physicians are choosing to go part-time sooner and sooner. So we've got this horrible situation and how we, the efficiency at which we educate physicians. And then, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I grew up listening to periods of time where back in the 1920s, 1930s, it was talked about, I come from an ethnic household. It was talked about how they wouldn't, you know, they had quotas on how many Jews at that point could go to med school because they didn't want too many Jewish doctors and stuff like that. And we do run into this great challenge now as we try and do all the social engineering of doing this same thing to other people of, you know, not having the most qualified people in because we're trying to social engineer quotas around around other ethnic groups. And we think that's a mistake. So I, I don't think it's a problem of producing too many doctors because we're so far away from that goal. I think it's a, it's a matter of how do we demographically handle this to meet some of the societal needs and at the same time not discriminate against, uh, on, on one hand, one race of people, on the other hand, another race of people, and start to build in quotas on, on other sides of that. And then how do we make med school more efficient. And I don't want to dive too far into the social engineering discussions because it's such a fraught topic for challenges, but but I do worry about discriminating against the best and brightest of certain ethnic groups in efforts towards social engineering. And that's just a whole different, you know, it's a whole different can of worms, a whole different set of discussions. But it's a challenging issue when you talk about trying to make sure we've got the best and brightest going to med school. Yeah, Scott, those are really important and, and difficult points that, uh, such a large society as the United States has to contend with. So I appreciate you being very forthright about that. I, I want to ask you a question about you and the spine. And, you know, it strikes me that a lot of what you do, as you mentioned already, relates to spine. Um, and it's probably like your most, how do you say, recognizable franchise, right? Certainly by specialty. And why do you think that is? Was that by accident? Or is there something peculiar about us as spine surgeons 
Was it relationships? Like I know you're tight with Frank Phillips at Rush. Um, or is there something unique about Spine that just lends itself to very um, timely, but yet um, cutting edge controversy? Like whether it be, you know, the issue, you know, the, our podcast was started because of Dr. Death. We have some, some really interesting uh, fringe players in our field. Like what is it that makes Spine so compelling as a topic? Well, I, I, I think the beauty of Spine is it's a relatively smaller universe of physicians, you know, four to 5,000, maybe six to 7,000 when you combine, combine orthopedic spine with neurosurgeons that really do spine. So you're looking at five to 7,000 physicians. General orthopedics is 25 to 30,000. It, 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 there's gastroenterologists, 13 to 14,000. Ophthalmologists, there's a lot more. The, the beauty of the spine community is as you know, everybody knows each other. So it, all, all the spine surgeons know each other. So, you know, God, was it Dr. Dunch? It was Dr. Death, et cetera, et cetera. I've got the right name, don't I? Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes. And so it, I, I don't want to get in trouble, but like everybody knew him. Everybody knew him. And so everybody sort of, by the time it all sort of came out and stuff like that, people were like, oh my God, I know him. Everybody knows him. And, and, and the thing about spine is you've got very entrepreneurial, very bright you know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a field with, and we talked about this at the last meeting. It's a field with a lot of mentorship, um, with a lot of research, with a lot of academic focus. You've got people that are in in some ways, you know, you see it in orthopedics in the orthopedic community too, where certain people are quite brand conscious of of building the brand. I did this on this athlete. I did that on that athlete. And there's a there's a decent amount of ego. So you've got this mix of ego, entrepreneurialism, extremely bright and gifted people. Uh, and you've got this mix of also, there's not huge neurosurgery and spine groups really compared to the size of orthopedic groups. And you do have in spine a lot of mavericks as well. And, and, and not bad, not bad in a positive way. But you got people that are really bright on the cutting edge. It's a small community. Everybody knows each other. And I think that's why when you have niche areas like that, it's easy for people to follow. They know the names. They know the people. All you guys, women and men, know each other. You know, there's, there's people like Dr. Phillips as an example who I've got to know well over the years, over a long period of time. But there's so many people that have come through different – the Rush program. You're at University of Miami. That's also developed this, this incredible reputation for people coming out of that program. There's a lot of that in Spine where people all come out of different family trees and really know each other really well. So I think it's not so much that it, – it, it's, it's more about not so much what we do, but it's more about that you folks at the end of the day have a fairly close-knit community. And, and so it's, it's, it's you know easy for people to connect within it. That's sort of how I view it, Dr. Wang. That's it for part one. Please join us next week for the conclusion of this conversation with Scott Becker. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.